Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The colossal task of carving the likeness of Crazy Horse into a South Dakota mountain began more than 75 years ago. The initial effort to create the sculpture grew into a larger effort of Native education and representation. Now the organization that oversees the collective projects, known as the Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation, has a new leader. We'll talk with him and get a perspective on the foundation's future, coming up after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The principal chief of the Cherokee Nation is calling on the U.S. House of Representatives to keep a treaty promise to the Cherokee Nation by the United States to seat a Cherokee Nation delegate in the House. Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. testified Wednesday before the House Committee on Rules. Hoskin discussed the promise made in the 1800s. Cherokee Nation and Cherokee Nation alone is the tribe that is the party to the Treaty of New Echota and the Treaty of 1866. Cherokee Nation has, in fact, adhered to our obligations under these treaties. I'm here to ask the United States to do the same. It's time for this body to honor this promise and seat our delegate in the House of Representatives. Hoskins says it's a binding commitment which guaranteed the Cherokee Nation a voice in Congress in exchange for forcing them from their homelands. They were moved west on what became known as the Trail of Tears. The non-voting delegate chosen by the Oklahoma tribe is Kim Teehee. According to the Cherokee Nation, the House has the power to seat the delegate and no further action is needed by the administration or the U.S. Senate. In the latest voting tallies in Alaska in the race for U.S. House, Congresswoman Mary Peltola, whose Yupik has a sizable lead, which grew a little more. The Democrat is well ahead of her closest competitor, Alaska's former Republican governor, Sarah Palin, who has 26 percent of the vote. Although Peltola has 48 percent of the vote, she needs more than 50 percent to win under Alaska's new system of ranked choice voting. This will require votes from those who ranked her as a second choice. So far, only first choice votes have been counted. None of the candidates appear to be close to crossing 50 percent. Second and third rankings will be counted on November 23rd. Peltola is expected to win. She made history in August, becoming the first Alaska Native person to ever serve in Congress. She won a special election to fill out the remainder of the late Congressman Don Young's term. After years of dwindling returns, the Coquel tribe is excited to see at least 150 breeding pairs of fall Chinook salmon this year. As KLCC's Brian Bull reports, that's one of the highest returns in nearly two decades. Replenishing the salmon numbers has been an intensive team effort among the Coquel tribe, Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, Port of Bandon, and Coquel Salmon and Trout Enhancement Program. John Ogan is the Assistant Executive Director for Natural Resources for the Coquel Tribe. Last year it was 24 breeding pairs, the year before that it was three, and then in the neighborhood of 20 for a couple of years prior. In 2017, there were 88 breeding pairs collected. As I mentioned, the goal is 75. This year, we've kind of smashed that record with over 100 breeding pairs. Fertilized eggs will be kept in incubation tanks, then moved to another hatchery where juvenile salmon will hatch. Eventually, they'll be released into the Coquille River system. 
The Coquel tribe declared an emergency last year, given the hard dive in Chinook numbers due to invasive bass, predators, and environmental challenges. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. This week, California Indian Nations College celebrated a $5 million state budget allocation to help the tribal college in its effort to gain federal accreditation. Native American Assembly member James Ramos helped secure the funding. A celebration was held at the college campus in Palm Springs. The funding's in the 2022-23 state budget. The lawmaker is hoping the college will help boost higher education attendance among Native American students in California who have low rates of going to college. There are 35 tribal colleges and universities across the country which are federally accredited. There is not one located in California. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Program support by Penguin Random House, the publisher of Bad Cree by Jessica Johns, an upcoming horror novel about a young Cree woman whose dreams lead her on a perilous journey of self-discovery. More on this and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Although no official photo of Crazy Horse exists, sculptor Korchuk Julkowski took on the ambitious task of carving the likeness of the great Oglala Lakota warrior into a mountain of rock in South Dakota. Lakota chief Henry Standing Bear commissioned the work. After considerable planning, Julkowski started blasting into the granite in 1948, guided by descriptions of Crazy Horse by Lakota survivors of the Battle of Greasy Grass and others. It's a project that continues today more than 70 years later. For the first time, the organization overseeing the project is headed by a native administrator. Whitney Rencounter is taking over for the sculptor's relatives. We'll hear from him today and his vision for the Crazy Horse Memorial and the related enterprises. Have you visited the memorial lately? Tell us about your experience by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Crazy Horse, South Dakota, is Whitney Rencounter. He's the Chief Executive Officer of the Crazy Horse Memorial. He is Crow Creek, Hunkpati, Dakota. Whitney, welcome back to Native America Calling, and congratulations on your new position. Oh, Sean Wopidai, Chichi, Hamitaki, Yupi, Yuachante, Washte Napechi, Uzapadai, greet you all with a heartfelt handshake. Whitney, thank you for that warm introduction. And uh, I, I just want to repeat you are the first non family member CEO of the memorial. Add to that the fact that you're native. How long have you been in this new position and, and what inspired you to take the job? Yes. Uh, Unofficially, I started around August 1st, and that gave me time. The foundation uh, board of directors, which is composed of, uh, comprised of uh, 23 to 26, uh, you know, professionals throughout, uh, you know, the region and throughout the nation, actually, 
after they conducted the search uh, for the new CEO, I, I was, uh, you know, offered the position. And then August 1st, I was able to start the process of learning about the history and how we got to where we, where we are. And I'm kind of a historian at heart, so I like to learn of how we got to where we are and what we can do to move forward. So, and then September 15th was the official uh, start date for my position. So, uh, in two months, basically, on the job. Wow. So, uh, still a little wet behind the ears there. Now, Whitney, were you a fan of the memorial before you took this job? Well, you know, my uh, when I was in college uh, back in 1998 at Black Hill State University, I was awarded a Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation scholarship for being in uni- at the university. So, you know, that prompted my, piqued my interest to learn more about the memorial. And the late Mrs. Z, who kind of awarded those uh, scholarships, she was, she was very kind-hearted. She would bring, you know, a lot of the, the relatives. She had a close relationship with Nellie Tubolds, who is a uh, revered Wichaglata amongst our people. She's a beautiful backup singer. And she would come up and speak up at the memorial. Uh, Lula Redcloud, who just passed away, you know, a mainstay. And we have many artists from across Indian country that would come sell their wares every year here at the, you know, summer months and so on and so forth. But my wife and I, we started to come here in 2017 in the summers to give educational presentations. And then I would teach about what happened to our ancestors in the Black Hills and how it was taken from our ancestors by the government. And then so I would teach these facts and the history. And then my wife would speak about the jingle dress and I would sing and my daughters would share some dances. So we kind of used it as a platform to educate people. So we've been coming to the memorial since 2017 and and now I find myself as as the leader of the organization, which is a calling. It's a great responsibility that that uh, I look forward to moving into the future. Well, it sounds like uh, your life has certainly kind of come full circle with, with this new position and this role. And we definitely want to talk about the carving, the sculpture, but the memorial is much more than, than just the sculpture. What else goes on there? Yeah, so the the carving, the sculpture itself is what draws people here. But when they get to the memorial, and even late, the late sculpture Korchak Tukuski makes mention that the, the, the carving is actually the smallest part of the, the memorial. The bigger part is the humanitarian project of having um, the Indian Museum of North America and the Indian University of North America to be able to educate people about our... There's, there's really nowhere uh, else across the world, I mean, there are some, but that, that, that really educates people on an international scope about what happened to Native peoples, the facts, the history, but also the beauty of our culture, the, the understandings. We do not have it in our public schools and our educational systems. So to have a place uh, with such an impact as Crazy Horse Memorial, for people to learn about what happened to our ancestors and our way of life as Indigenous people, to have a platform like this, you know, certainly is something that I would like to take advantage of into the future to educate more and more people about our people. Well, Whitney, we're definitely going to talk more with with some of the other folks there at the memorial about some of these other programs, the university and the museum. But uh, let's talk now about the rock carving. I think what everybody wants to know is how far along are you folks right now with uh, towards the completion of the, the Crazy Horse sculpture? Sure. So one of the, the important parts of Crazy Horse Memorial, as opposed to, you know, other, uh, you know, attractions across the world, you know, some are, are sponsored and, and uh, promoted by 
government, so to speak, government funding or federal grants or whatever the case may be. So what makes us unique here at Crazy Horse Memorial is that we do not accept government funds. We do not accept state funds, taxpayers' money to be able to help with this particular project. So it's, it's within the foundation. So our visitors, private donors, foundation, you know, they, they are what support this organization. So that is relying upon the work that we do, not only on the mountain, but museum, the university, and the, the humanitarian projects that we put forth and becoming a resource. But as far as the mountain itself, you know, as we all know, uh, the, the face of Itancha, the, you know, our, one of our revered leaders, Crazy Horse, even though there was no pictures ever taken, but through these discussions and the communication with Chief Henry Standing Bear and our, our elders, they, have the, they wanted to make this mountain to not only represent Tashunke Witko Crazy Horse, but also the North, but mainly the North American tribes. So Crazy Horse was selected because he defeated, you know, Custer in, in the Seventh Cavalry and so on and so forth. He was a great leader for our people and still to this day. And then now we're getting ready. So the face was unveiled. Now the, the hand the, where he points towards his lands, that is going to be unveiled probably within the coming year. And then, but uh, in essence, the, the sculpture, it re, it's reliant upon these private donors and the admissions, so along with the other efforts. So it doesn't all just go towards the mountain. It goes towards all these efforts. So as we move forward into the future, it's going to be reliant upon how many staff and, you know, uh, making sure we take care, we don't, you know, uh, move forward too fast. So in essence, it's, it's more about getting people here to focus on the uh, indigenous people and the history and the culture. Well, this project uh, dates back to the late 1940s, well over 70 years. So for most of us, uh, this has all been going on since before we were even born. And I know uh, since being a young kid, I remember hearing the stories of the sculpture and how it was moving along. And Whitney, any estimate in, in terms of a completion date, or if you were just to give us a percentage, like uh, are you folks like 50% of the way there, 60%? What's the thought there? Well, okay, so, you know, maybe I'll put it this way. It's, uh, we don't have an estimate because the work, you know, the focus, once again, comes back to the, the, the big picture of our people, educating our people. But, but as far as, you know, we take a look at uh, the, the face, we take a look at the, the arm and the hand and then the horse's head, and then we take a look at the, you know, crazy horse's hair and then the rest of the horse, you know, you can take a look. Okay, so out of those things, the face, the hand, the arm, you know, we're, that's where we're kind of rounding out. So uh, in, in Lakota, Dakota way, a lot of times we don't give those direct answers, you know. It's okay, so how do we, well, where do you, how far is that place over there? Well, we don't say 100 miles. We say, oh, it takes about two hours to get there if you drive this fast. So what I would say in, in our traditional way as we share things, you know, the face, the hand, you know, is com getting completed. So we, then we would have to go to the, the horse, the hair, and then uh, the rest of the horse. So that's how far we are. <laughs> <laughs> now you shared earlier no government funds these are all donations uh that are primarily funding the project but uh we did some research before the show and it, it, we did find out that the government federal government has twice offered to help with the construction the completion of the project but uh the memorial has turned that money down why was that you know as i've learned about uh, the the conversations between Henry Standing Bear, Chief Itancha Henry Standing Bear, who was a student at Carlisle Indian School. 
and we know about the histories and what happened there and how it impacted the boarding school area area of our people. So Itancha Henry Standing Bear, he, he took what his his bad experience at Carlisle Indian School and he used he, he realized education was the new platform for our battles. And so he used education and around the time Mount Rushmore was being completed in the Black Hills, he said, you know what? He was thinking about these times today. We need a place amongst our lands and amongst our people so that people can learn about Lakota, Dakota, Nakota, and the North American tribes. And so as he continued forth here, he worked with, uh, you know, Korchak Jokowski. And through those discussions, you kind of learn a little bit about that, that Korchak really dedicated his life to learning and, and teaching people that, that horrible things happen to Native peoples in this land. So what can we do to turn that around and, and have people learn and, and have a place for the indigenous peoples to tell their stories and to teach people around the world the story needs to be told. And so we learn about those historical relationships. And so, in essence, Korchak felt that if the government got involved, they would then uh, censor that story. They may never finish the memorial. Matter of fact, they may transition in a different direction. So that is why Korchak denied uh, the, the government funds, because he did not want them to censor the truth and the honesty that needs to be told about our people. We are speaking with Whitney Rencounter. He is the new chief executive officer of the Crazy Horse Memorial in South Dakota. And listeners, we welcome your calls today. If you have been to the memorial recently, uh, tell us what you thought. If you've never been there, uh, tell us if you're interested in going to the memorial. Any thoughts on, on your perspective on the Crazy Horse Memorial? Please give us a call. That number, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Jim Thorpe's many achievements are well documented, but you probably haven't heard the story told quite like this. Kick back in my time machine, reminiscing everything was so promising. Siblings let me win, so I would feel like I was king. Caught the pistol, ran it in, then I was high as he. We'll talk with Anishinaabe hip hop artist Tall Paul about his drive to tell the story of Jim Thorpe. That's on the next Native America Calling. How mitakuye piki. O each igwa H Iganakapo Zania Wapi CMSL O H Iganakapo Wania Tuanji. Lakol Zania Uti El Yayo Isamwasolia Chihantas. Nish Lil Yayo Healthcare.gov Nish Lil Mas Aphayo one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six. Le Wot Haniki Medicare na Medicaid Utitanhiapelo. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're getting caught up on the Crazy Horse Memorial in South Dakota. If you've ever visited the memorial in South Dakota, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Are you wondering why it's taking so long to finish the sculpture? What's your thought on the legacy of the memorial and Korchuk Cholkovsky? Share your thoughts by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. We're speaking with Whitney Rencounter. He is the new CEO of the memorial. And Whitney, earlier uh, you talked about um, the vision for the memorial dating back to, to Chief Henry Standing Bear. And um, he was uh, pivotal in, in working with uh, the family to originally start the memorial. And I want to ask you, uh, are tribes in the area, are they supportive of the memorial? And are they actively engaged in its daily operations? 
You know, um, the the tribes in our area, the amongst the Ocheti Shakovi, you know, there's uh, a lot of the, the in the museum. We have a lot of, uh, you know, in, in essence, uh, artifacts and and then a, a lot of the uh, honoring of the code talkers, the Lakota, you know, and, and other tribes. And so there's been a presentation of a lot of these things that have come from our tribes. And matter of fact, just last night, uh, as we get ready to celebrate our 75th anniversary, uh, June 3rd, 2023, I had the privilege of uh, singing for an honoring for Chairman Trudell, who is just retiring, you know, amongst the, the Tribal Chairman's Health Board, the Great Plains uh, Tribal Leaders Health Board, which it's called now. And they honored uh, Chairman Trudell. Uh, from the Isanti Dakota Oyate. And so I was, I was there and I was talking to some of the chairmen that were present at this uh, particular gathering in Rapid City. And I, so I spoke to my tribal chairman, uh, Peter Linkick from the Crow Creek Hunkpati uh, Dakota Oyate, and I was explaining to him that it would be great to bring, you know, just like the dedication when the Akichita of the battle of the uh, uh, greasy grass, the, the, the veteran, the warriors that day that were here, uh, during the dedication with with Itancha Henry Standing Bear, I was talking to him about some ideas that our team has been having about regathering the Ocheti Shakowi, you know, around that time. To that's part of our mission at Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation, which is to protect and preserve the culture, tradition, living heritage of North American tribes. The the foundation, you know, continues forth in that way. And our Itancha, our our tribal chairman, made mention that when we do the Dakota 38 plus two rides and, and remember historically what happened to our ancestors, that they've come across some of the descendants of some of the relatives that were here. And so we, we're working with the tribes. We're, we're engaging them, and we're, we're moving forth to continue to provide this opportunity for education and to really re, you know, recommitment to what happened historically. And so that's one of the dedications, one of the commitments that I've made in my in this position, you know, the chief, chief executive officer. But in essence, in my way, you know, when you're giving a responsibility like this, you have to do things by the people in, in that regard of communication, of engaging and providing opportunities to educate. So that is, you know, moving forward, that's, that's what we will continue to do. But the late Mrs. Z developed a lot of these relationships with a lot of tribal representatives and historically, you know, and I, I think uh, through our university, a lot of the university students really continue to tell the story on what, why they really enjoyed our university programs and so on and so forth and the indigenous students that come here. So we're working in this manner to be collaborative in that way and to, to engage our, our area tribes and, and North American tribes because it truly is about all of our tribes, you know, when it comes to this area. So certainly continuing those conversations. Whitney, going back to the sculpture, I'm interested to know how big is the crew that works on the sculpture and, and how often are they actually up there on the rock carving and, and using dynamite and, and just moving forward? Well, the, the dynamite model is is not safe. It's outdated. And uh, so the, the blasting on, on the mountain has subsided some years ago. And so now they use a, a new technique through engineering. It, it's kind of like a, a, a diamond rope, you know, type of uh, thing where they use, a lot of times people will use it to cut granite for their, for their tables at home or granite tops in, in your house. So you use this. It's a, it's a cleaner style. It's, you know, you can work in, in, the, in the water. So they can utilize mountain technical support, 
utilizes a whole integral, intricate system to be able to plan and get down to, you know, a, a you know, distinct part to be able to know where you have to cut and so on and so forth. So blasting is, is a thing of the past, and it's now it's utilizing these more, uh, you know, newer types of things. So the, the, the staff, the, the director of the mountain, his name is Caleb Jokowski. He is the great-grandson or the grandson of uh, Korchak Jokowski, and he's the director of the mountain. And Caleb and I speak, you know, a lot. He's a young, young fella like myself, and he's really hoping to continue to honor the mission of the memorial and his work. And so they have a team of, of uh, staff up there, you know, um, that, that work throughout. Maybe sometimes it's 10 to 12 to, to 15 at times. Sometimes they get seasonal staff as well and they continue to work, but they work every day of the year with the exception of if it's lightning or, you know, it's below zero when some of the machine doesn't work properly. But every every year round, basically, uh, they're working on the mountain. All righty. Well, great update there, Whitney. And we've got a caller on the line right now, Tom, listening in Wounded Knee, South Dakota. Tom, thanks for calling in. First of all, I'd like to thank Native America calling. Uh, thank you for the show. And then I'd like to congratulate Whitney. Lila Pilamaya, that you're there. And um, that's coming from me and uh, my Kiospe here in Wounded Knee. Also, uh, we'd like to invite Whitney and the whole crew up there to our our 11th annual uh, Little Bighorn celebration we have here in Wounded Knee. We always celebrate it uh, every uh, June 25th. So, Yokefia, you are Upo, Whitney. Lila Piramaya. Ho, Hachituelo. Tom, thank you for calling in. And, Whitney, please feel free to respond to Tom. Opidai, Chichie, my relative. I thank you so much for that invitation and, and certainly would love to uh, see how we could uh, come down and celebrate, you know, like uh, certainly a big time for our ancestors as the victory over the 7th Calvary took place when Tashukewitko led our ancestors and our people along with Sitting Bull and Ikpa Duta and the, the Northern Cheyenne, the Arapaho, and, and uh, the defeat of 7th Calvary and, uh, you know, Custer's last stand, as they say, in, in uh, protecting our women and our children and especially Oyate, the Buffalo Nation. You know, as we know, there was 30 to 60 million bison or Tatanka buffalo, we say, and uh, it was down to less than 1,000 in the late 1800s. And so all these things that our ancestors fought for, we want to continue to honor and recognize the importance of our traditional ways, the importance of our way of life. So I'm really happy that our relatives reach out in this way, and, and hopefully we can make the journey down there to celebrate with them. That's Whitney Rencounter, Chief Executive Officer of the Crazy Horse Memorial. And, folks, if you want to get in on this conversation, if you'd like to give a shout-out to Whitney or one of our other guests, please, the phone lines are still open, 1-800-996-2848. And let's talk with another person who is seriously involved there at the Crazy Horse Memorial. Joining us from South Dakota is Diane Amiette Seidel. She's the enrollment manager for the Indian University of North America at the Crazy Horse Memorial, and she is an Oglala Lakota tribal member. Diane, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. And, and Whitney earlier mentioned the university, and please tell us more about the school. When did it open, and how many students are currently enrolled? Okay, the um, Indian University 
opened, it started in 2010, um, the 7-Gen Summer Program, and it is um, partnered with Black Hill State University. The uh, last summer, we had around 25 students do 15 different tribes. The students are able to earn 12 college credit hours, and um, also they could do, they um, I have so much to share with you. It's, it's an exciting program. But anyway, um, they study and live and work at the beautiful Indian University of the Black Hills in South Dakota. We have so many different um, educational and cultural activities. Um, we re the students, they receive um, summer tuition, uh, free books, and um, lodging, food the class from the Crazy Earth Memorial. Um, they also receive scholarships. And um, we have students throughout the United States um, that come here. Um, in the last 11 years, there's nearly 300 students from 40 different nations in 20 different states. Um, the students, they, uh, they will take like a college success class, work-life experience, um, they, they can also take the American Indian history, English, general psychology, speech, and also um, the classes that they take during the eight-week summer program, it, they could transfer it to any university that's, um, of their, where they're going to be attending in the fall. And then we also have the residential uh, private suites where the students could stay. Their work experience, um, they'll participate in 22 hours a week um, with the paid program experience through Craziest, Crazy Horse Memorial. And um, they have an option to work at the, or do their internship at the Welcome Center, ticket office, restaurant, um, mm. gift shop, tour guide. Um, Sounds like a, a lot of really wonderful opportunities. So, Diana, I just want to confirm. So, um, there's no cost to the students. The tuition's covered, and then there's scholarships as well. Is that correct? Well, actually, the total cost is 800 for food and lodging plus a $50 um, room deposit. But um, they can pay that back with their scholarships um, that they receive, or either they get paid um, $15 Per hour and then they could pay that back bi-weekly and then okay. also at the end of the semester they'll they'll earn a $400 stipend too and to be oh go ahead oh, I'm sorry I just wanted so uh, tw they can earn 12 college credit hours so it's, that's probably equivalent to like maybe one or two semesters somewhere else. so about how long are, are most of the students there on campus then is about a year maybe no, it's an eight-week program, and so they are, it's a very intense program. We teach them college for success. Um, we teach them how to get their ducks in a row. Um, we teach them uh, pretty much like the basics uh, class, like the English class, psychology class, um, speech. And then not only that, they get a work uh the life experience where some of the students that come in have never worked in their life. So mm -hmm. they have an opportunity to um, work. And the program starts 
um, June 10th. Actually, we have applications open right now. The program is June 10th, 2023, and um, it ends August 6th. Okay, and so we two also months. help them. Yep, it's an eight-week um, program. We also help them, like with with um, getting them scholarships and whatever they need to be prepared for okay. uh, the fall. Okay. And Diane, how old are most of the students? And are, are they all native? Um, they are. They are. This past summer, we had ninety-nine percent Native Americans. Um, um, let me see. They were from, I'm guessing, about 15 different tribes. We had 25 students um, this past summer. They all completed the program. Uh, they they really done good. They were all excited uh, when they left. They were well, actually, when they first got there, they were all kind of bashful because they were all from different tribes. And then um, at the after the eight weeks, they were all hugging and crying and. <laughs> they just all become one family. So it's it's a super great program. I'm really proud to be part of this program. Um, the applicate the applications um, are on the, our website. Uh, they must be 17 to 21 years of age and have a high school diploma or a GED. And um, there's different there's three different requirements. They have to have a GPA of a 2.6 or higher. And um, the ACT. Okay. Well, Diane, this is all really good information. And, and I'm curious, what, what are the goals for, for the future for the program? Will it continue to grow and, and perhaps maybe start offering degree programs as well in the future? Well, actually, um, this is a good question because we do have a fall Weezy Pop program. And it's um, through South Dakota State University. And some of our top students from the Seven Gen Summer Program um, applied to be in this, the fall program um, through the through the university. And and this program um, it's for students that already have college credit hours. Um, the program is going on right now. Okay. We okay. have. Um, um. Well, Diana, also, I mean, this this partnership there with uh, with the Seven Gen program. How, how does that work? That's through Black Hill State University and um, the Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation. It's accredited through Black Hill State University, so the college credits that the students take will transfer to any university that the students will be attending. Okay. Uh, well, this just sounds really, really interesting and um, different programming. And, and when again did, did the school start? How, how many years has it been in operation? It started in um, 2010. 2010, so about a dozen years now with students that can attend uh, this University there, Indian University of North America at the Crazy Horse Memorial. And um, some of the faculty there, the teachers, um, where do you get your instructors? Um, some of the faculty are from the Black Hill State University. And um, I was teaching College for Success. And um, Whitney was a former college instructor also. Um, the work-life experience. It's a AIS 291 class. Mm -hmm. 
And so well, we're speaking now with Diane Amiette Seidel, and she's the enrollment manager for the Indian University of North America at the Crazy Horse Memorial. And this is just one more component to the memorial. Uh, so often we think of the rock sculpture of Crazy Horse, but there's a lot more going on at the memorial, and this is just one example, this university program that helps prepare uh, young students for, for college life uh, beyond. They can earn 12 college credit hours uh, attending school there in dormitories that are there on the campus of the memorial. Uh, folks, if you'd like to learn more, uh, if you have any questions, uh, what are you waiting for? We've got phone lines that are open, and our producers are, are looking forward to, to your call. So we will definitely get you folks on the air if you give us a call. That number, 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at 1-888-ART-FAKE. Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. You're tuned to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are focusing on the Crazy Horse Memorial in South Dakota today, and it's more than just a giant rock carving in the great Lakota leader's likeness. There's also a museum and a university, among other, other enterprises. You can join our conversation if you have a question about any aspects of the memorial. That number is 1-800-996-2848. And let's move on now to our third guest on the show today. Joining us also in Crazy Horse, South Dakota, is Andrew Donahue. He's the Director of Museums and Cultural Affairs of the Indian Museum of North America of Crazy Horse Memorial. Andrew, welcome to Native America Calling. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk more about this museum and the name, Indian Museum of North America. That suggests the focus beyond Crazy Horse and Plains tribes. Uh, indeed. You know, uh, to further that point of the, the mountain being the smallest part of, of what we're doing here, the artwork of the mountain itself was meant to be a representative image for, for all Native nations and all peoples. And so in that commitment to our mission, the, the arts and artifacts, the peoples that we work with, uh, come from all across the continental North America. So there are items here from um, from British Columbia, from the far southeast, southwest, uh, all across the nation. And it's a it's a means of which we we tell a variety of stories and and become that uh, to Whitney's point that platform for so many different voices. But it's very important to us in this organization that we we commit ourselves to the voices of those people and that these items and and cultures and things of where they've come from and an important responsibility to let people know that uh, Native culture is, is a, uh, in North America is a varied, uh, and there's a huge variety of peoples, of languages, of cultures, of influences all across the continent, not just one homogenous group of people, but many different peoples, many different languages. So that's what we present here. Andrew, how long have you been working there at the Crazy Horse Memorial? I've been here a little over five and a half years now, uh, but I've been in the, the museum field for over 20 years, and I've worked with Native history for over 15 years in my career. 
And how does the Crazy Horse Museum, how does it stand out to other museums there in, in that area, western South Dakota, eastern Montana? Because there's a lot of other museums in, in that region. Well, certainly. Um, the the focus, we could say, I mean, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of a big project and a daunting thing to talk about so many different peoples, but I think one of the things that sets us apart is not just being a traditional museum in that sense. We are also focused on showing people where Native culture is alive and well today. And so that's where cultural programs comes into play, um, where we have a month-long residency of Native artists, uh, master Native artists and up-and-coming Native artists who are selected from across the country to come here, spend a month on site. They're supported in the creation of their artwork and then have an opportunity to to share through education, to, to sell original pieces, uh, but to exhibit and showcase their pieces here. We have a Living Treasures program where artists and, and cultural craft is really highlighted, where we've had weavers from the Muckleshoots people in Seattle, uh, where the elders come and share their, share, um, their um, weaving projects, working with, um, with cedar bark, uh, we had this last summer. We had a, a canoe carver from uh, Minnesota who came to spend uh, the summer here with us, or a week in the summer here with us, uh, through that program. We have the speaker series, which brings in a variety of different peoples working with all kinds of different uh, topics and subjects and important subjects in Native country today. <clears throat> We've had um, Academy Award winner Wes Studi was here with us a few years ago, talking about some of his accomplishments. We've had national performing artists uh, who come here on the daily, who perform on, uh, on the stage. But it's not just about uh, entertainment. It's what we call in the field edutainment, where they, they talk <laughs> about their culture, they share their, um, their, their stories, and they teach people. So that you, you come here and you hear and you see some amazing dance and performance from some very talented artists, but you also hear about their culture. You hear their stories, and you hear it firsthand from Native peoples. That's the most important thing, that it comes from the voice of Native people. So um, we, I like to say on our team, we're just the conduit. We are the conduit that connects the peoples to those voices. So we have a responsibility here on that international level uh, so that people can learn about those Native cultures. So, Andrew, with so much going on, the museum, the, the university, the sculpture, and this large, large piece of land there in, in western South Dakota, if you could help kind of describe uh, what the experience is like for somebody who's never been to the Crazy Horse Memorial, who drives in there, and just where do they start? Where do they go? What are the options there? What's a typical visit like for somebody who's new to the memorial? Another one of those things that kind of sets this place apart. There's nothing like a typical visit here. Um, you could spend all day in the, on location here and not see everything there is to do, um, which is why, of course, obviously we invite people to come back. But you know, we educate by talking about the history of how we got here. So first and foremost, there's a, a film that people watch. They can learn about the history of how we came to be here. Uh, but it's a story of how uh, Henry Standing Bear and the Lakota elders had the idea for this memorial, and they, they tapped the talents of, of Korchak Tchaikovsky, who was a, a very famous and um, successful sculptor uh, in the, the Northeast. Uh, they tapped him to, to do this project because of the work he'd done out here with, with Gutsum Borglum at Mount Rushmore. Um, and they instilled in him the importance of this to the, to the Native peoples. And so you learn about that video, you, hear, you see a video that orients you to how we got here. 
and then talks about how it's so much more than just that memorial. That's what attracts people here. But then people exit out of that. They see a variety of different items. Um, they see uh, the they see the artwork of David Humphreys Miller depicting the veterans of the Battle of the Greasy Grass. They see um, the items and artifacts that have come from so many different cultures. And truth be told, the vast majority of our collections is the artwork is, is artwork that comes from people, not not just cultural items. Um, but there's a variety of different pieces and items that come together that tell um, the stories of so many different cultures. Um, and they're all kind of seen together. And in the future, we're actually rewriting the experience of how people see the museum through a new interpretive thread, working very closely with Native consultation, with Native okay. voices and peoples and experts that help us to better tell the story from a Native perspective. Okay. Uh, and again, instilling that that voice is there. So we're going to change the perspective and kind of flip the paradigm, if you will, of how people experience Native history through a connection to the earth and through a connection to uh, how the earth informs culture. So every room of the museum will be um, organized by cultural concepts, and you'll get to see all the various eco-regions of the continent and their tribal versions of what those cultural concepts mean to them throughout. So in the future of the museum, you're going to see a lot of new ways that you experience that. And some of that you can see now with two of the presentations, one on, um, on leadership, that talks not just about those traditional ideas of, of leadership, but it gets into the, the concept of matriarchal leadership, which is so pivotal to so many different Native cultures, and then a section on modern and contemporary art. So it's, um, there's those sections, then there's the further sections on the history of the mountain, the mountain carving. Okay. All those kinds of things become a collective experience, coupled with daily performances three times a day all throughout the summer, and then special performances out throughout the year, educational presentations. Um, it's a lot to see, but what we want people <laughs> to leave with is, a, is a, an understanding of the variety of cultures, an appreciation and a respect for those cultures, and a further understanding that can take people back to, to be respectful and to recognize the sovereignty of Native nations in this land. So much going on there at the memorial, and we're definitely going to talk more about it and a little bit more about the future and how things are changing now with this new leadership. But before we do that, let's take another phone call. We have John listening on KSUT in Colorado. John, you're on Native America Calling. Hello. Hello, John. What's on your mind? Hear me? Yeah, Hello? we can hear you. Yep, we can hear you, John. Great. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, 28 years ago, uh, my the uh, Crazy Horse Memorial on our honeymoon, and uh, I was traveling in the area this spring, and I was kind of curious about what was going on there. So uh, I stopped, and I was really impressed with the uh, the new. Um, the visitor center of the museum was amazing. Um, there was artwork from, oh gosh, Alaska Natives, all the, the Natives around uh, North America. It was pretty impressive. Uh, beautiful building. Well, yeah, John, it sounds like, uh, so you went there on your honeymoon all those years ago, and uh, did it bring back fond memories when you were able to go back and visit again all these years later? It did, yeah. 
Wonderful, wonderful. John, thank you for calling in. I really appreciate uh, this call. Again, folks, this is John uh, listening on KSUT in Colorado. And let's go back to, to Whitney Rencounter now. And Whitney, now this, this new change of leadership there, and uh, Andrew just gave us uh, an overview of, of some plans for the future. And, and I'm curious to know also, Whitney, uh, the sculptor's family. Um, you mentioned the, the grandson uh, is uh, works there on the, the carving and, and the sculpture aspect. But other family members, uh, do they still have uh, a strong voice in, in daily operations and the direction of the memorial? Yeah. So <clears throat> you know um, the the two daughters, Vika and Monique, uh, were former CEOs after the late Mrs. Z passed away. You know, uh, Monique is still helping to guide progress on the mountain and kind of an ad artistic and historical uh, advisor in, the, in that role. And so very much so uh, Viga helps to, you know, Viga retired for a while and came back to, to help with, uh, you know, her, her family and the involvement. They, they still are committed, you know, to, to the work of their late father and mother and, and family. And then Adam, you know, their brother, uh, you know, is, is still operating, still working and helping and, and, uh, contributing to the dream here. And I think, in essence, the, the family, we, we want to continue to thank them for, for honoring, you know, Itancha, Henry Standing Bear, and, and the, the other, our, you know, North American tribes, for that matter, of being able to provide, help provide a platform and tell the story of our people. They truly are uh, committed because they understand what happened to our ancestors. And so we talk about maybe the next generation, the grandchildren, they're, they're really involved in support and the rest of the family members, you know, have all contributed in some way throughout history. We, we learned about the stories when, when they first came here. You know, I, I visited with some of the brothers, and, and they talk about a time when the late Mrs. Z had to walk between Crazy Horse to Rapid City to pick up bottles and just so she could get enough money to feed her children. You know, so they, they, they hasn't been glitz and glamour for them. You know, they've had to go through the, the trials and tribulations of living and, and going through the tough summers and tough winters of South Dakota. So they've really dedicated their lives to, to this vision of providing a platform for our, our people and our ancestors. And so they certainly are still passionate about the project, and, and, we're, and I visit with them and collaborate with them, and I'm very thankful for that. And Whitney, does, does the family, do they own that land that the memorial sits on? Who owns that? Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation uh, owns uh, the, the acreage here and, you know, to help with the project and, and the mission. Um, you know, the family, obviously, the, the late Mrs. Z and, and Korchak, early on when they started the, the carving, they, they got advice and realized and understood the importance of having a foundation, because especially because of the humanitarian project that this particular, uh, you know, a great, uh, beautiful place is dedicated to the people, dedicated to, you know, the, the historical teachings and the education of our people. And so the foundation is truly dedicated to educating our people. So, so the, the land and, and that essence and all that is, is within the control of the foundation because the family realized that in order to continue on the, the mission of the memorial, that the foundation and, and those within that board. So it's a nonprofit organization that oversees the organization. We have time for just one more call. We have Donna listening in Wasilla, Alaska on KNBA. And Donna, thank you so much for calling in. We, we've got about a minute before we have to wrap up the show, but please share your comments. 
Okay, yes. I just finished reading Crazy Horse Hoka Hey, It's a Good Time to Die. And uh, it's just really, you know, great that this is happening. And I just think that the Native uh, society as a whole is healing and going forward. Hoka Hey. Hoka Hey, Donna. Thank you for calling. And, uh, Whitney, uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of support and a, and a lot of fans, uh, not just there in South Dakota, but even as far away as Alaska. And what does that mean to you when you have folks calling in, uh, happy and proud to see that here you are, uh, a Native person there, CEO of the memorial that's been there for, for almost 75 years. And uh, here you are, um, so actively involved in, in carrying out your vision. Sure, yeah. Well, it's it's a humble humbling experience because to me our people have faced uh, a, a difficult and a horrible history in terms of what happened to our ancestors but they truly fought and and I'm, and I and matter of fact I I've been I've been spending time with Chief Henry Standing Bear's great grandson Harvey Ledesma and his wife uh, who he's an he's a doctor he's an optometrist in California and uh, I've gotten to know him I I spent time with him here at the memorial and I spent time with him in California, and he's really, really uh, excited and thankful that, you know, that uh, I, I tell the stories of his late grand, great-grandfather. And, uh, you know, so to me, and as we know, as Lakota, Dakota, Nakota, in all tribes, this is never about one person. This particular work about educating the world about our ancestors is about all of us. And it's, you know, the, the wealth in our, in our people comes from your relationships. So having relatives and friends and so on and so forth that are committed to educating and talking about, you know, like just this summer, I was so excited, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's group, they made a ride from Bear Butte to here at Crazy Horse, and they hosted their event here at Crazy Horse, and it was so beautiful to see our people coming together in that way. And so we're going to continue to uh, honor our people in this way to include and educate, uh, you know, with a goal in mind. Uh, to provide education because people do better when they know better. And a lot of people do not know what happened to our ancestors. So it's inspiring. And I, and I welcome, you know, continued, uh, you know, uh, education and support and, and uh, guidance, especially from our elders. Well, Whitney, congratulations again. And uh, to all of our guests today, uh, wishing you all the best and much success moving forward again. Uh, Wonderful guests, wonderful conversation, updates and insights on the Crazy Horse Memorial in South Dakota. Join us tomorrow for a discussion with native hip-hop artist Tall Paul, who's telling his version of the Jim Thorpe story. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. This Native American Heritage Month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. 
Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.